Happy New Year and welcome to Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories, a local podcast for local artists. Honestly, I said it last time, but I can't believe we made two seasons. I mean, who predicted that during a pandemic, of all things? But here we are, we're doing it, and I'm very excited to present the first guest of season two's Afternoon Delight. It is none other than myself, Jordy Delight. And I've got a point to this episode that I'm going to be talking about that I feel a lot of you are going to benefit from because I know that I needed to sit down and have a chat with myself about this. So bear with me, because I might get emotional at points. This might get really hard for me. But after two weeks of resting, watching mind-numbing TV, buying three different duvet covers that are satin silk, as Madonna once infamously said, satin sheets are very romantic, I'm going to be discussing what 2020 taught me. Right, the easiest thing for me to do, right, listening back to all these podcast episodes, I did think to myself, especially listening back to my one, by the way, because what I did during the last two weeks was not listen to every episode of the podcast. Guilty. I listened to mine, and I couldn't believe how nervous I was in the first one. Because obviously, I'm not interviewing other people when I do myself. I'm interviewing myself, so how do I do this? How do I navigate and get an audience into this? But then I thought to myself, well, actually... I'm literally just sitting and imagining questions being asked to myself by me or Oprah. Let's say Oprah, because I love Oprah so much. And the easiest way to do this is I'm going to give you the timeline of the pandemic and something that each month taught me. Now, the first time I did the podcast episode myself, I had uh, questions in front of me, statements, lead-ups, but do you know what? Like, I just want this to feel authentic, so I'm just going to run by each month with you, naturally. And if I say any things that are maybe a bit controversial, then I do apologise. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing much I can really do about that. I'm sure I won't say anything offensive at this point in my life, but who knows. So January. January 2020 was when I did my show, The Honeymoon Period, that I've talked about before. But I think the difficulty reflection of the year because I spent the last two weeks kind of like thinking about well what did I get from this year and what did I want moving forward in 2019 in December I did not anticipate that when I applied to get the nurture talent fund from young Scott that I would even get the fund let alone get a budget to create a show with Sarah Forrester and Fauna Love sort of you know research and investigate the long transplant process and it just came to me at two in the morning when I could be asleep back in the days when I was really ill, I never slept because I'd always have anxiety from antibiotics, other medications that I wrote down. I want to do a drag show that's about lung transplants to make people great, but it'll have a point to it and people will also laugh. So that was what I did in January. I also in January, as well as that, was doing makeup lessons with Jamie Garrison, brilliant drag queen as well, Cobblies. And really wanted to just try and polish myself because I've joked about in the podcast season one that I'm not a look queen, but actually I can look fucking gorgeous if I try. So I was like, right, okay. So January, did my show, upped my makeup look. I pushed for getting Caftio, that amazing new drug that is now, frankly, on the NHS, which is amazing. But I pushed to get it on compassionate grounds, which was when you had to apply privately for your hospital. And I was lucky that they told me they'd already applied. So I knew that was coming in February. But I was still very ill. I did the honeymoon period with an IV line in my chest, very poorly. I think January is the month taught me resilience. And that I very much like so this month as well. That when you start the new year, try and enter with a new mindset for a new lens. And really prepare to be resilient. Because we've literally just been told this week that we're not going to be recovering as well from Christmas and New Year, which we thought, you know, everything's going back to normal, we'll get on the sesh, everything will be fine, COVID's gone, no, now they're talking about a mutated, another strain of it that's making things worse. It's just been such a stressful week, but I thought, this is the resilience I had a year ago that I needed to have. And I think 
And it's funny how you don't, the exact same thing's happening. So, resilience was mine for January. Now, February rocks around. Happy birthday to me, because I'm an Aquarius. And 6th February is my birthday, in case anyone wants to send me in presents in a couple weeks' time. <laughs> and I'm getting the triple, triple therapy drug called Caftio. But I don't know when. No guaranteed date yet. Waiting on a shipment. Doing my birthday party. I don't like my birthday. I'll be honest. I can now say this. Hated my birthday because when you've got cystic fibrosis before these drugs came round, your birthday was just a reminder that you were one step closer to death. But I got through it. I was very ill. Then saw my ex when I was DJing at Delf. I got DJ Delf. That was like an incredible thing. It kind of gave me a bit of an ammunition to say, you know, a, a bit of a boost, really, an ego boost, that I could DJ an incredible house set, but ill, because I was very poorly when I DJed it. Like, I was on IV antibiotics. Imagine me at Delft, of all nights, where it's chaotic, there's energy in there, probably substances of some sort, maybe just a glass of water as a substance to some people, but so much going on in one evening. And... I'm on antibiotics. I'm still handling it. I've no fucking clue how I did that, but I did. And I'd seen my ex, and I remember thinking to myself, right, here he is. And he asked me if I could take his fucking pack of cigarettes and lighter from. And I thought, right, I think this is very much in the bin now. It always had been, but I thought, Christ, I'm seeing you in years, and you're asking me to keep your cigarettes for you. What an, what an apt mood that was. And then I was just so fortunate that a week later... Started the triple therapy drug and my life changed in a week. Not even making this up, like in a week. February was quite a difficult month for me because it was my birthday. I didn't really anticipate this pandemic happening. I remember my therapist telling me there was things going on in Italy and there was a lockdown situation and I was like, oh, I don't know what you mean, because I was so ignorant. But February, I think, in all honesty, just gave me the ability to have faith because a drug came that saved my life, but I didn't back down because of resilience. And that was another tool added to my toolbox for 2020 before the real shit storm hit. Okay, now we go to infamous March. So where do I begin? After being on that drug for two weeks, I was really lucky that I DJed at Bongo Club at the end of February, which was absolutely amazing. It's one of my favorite gigs I've ever done after seven years of DJing. Um, and then, March rolled round. I did a speed dating night with my friend who's been on the podcast, Catch You on a Calcini, and I felt great. I felt on top of the world. I then came home the next day. I was really fucking hungover because Katrina stayed at mine. But we ended up going for Bloody Mary's and I was totally well. Now, before this drug, hangover would have, like, floored me. Do you know what I mean? Like, I would have been absolute pieces. But I'd got up on like four hours sleep and went and had Bloody Marys and had brunch and I felt great. And then I went to bed early that night and I always remember my decorator was coming to start doing up the spare room for me and doing everything up, which was lovely and great that he did. And then all of a sudden I go to university and I do my fetish photo shoots, right? And my fetish photos are still up there of one of my favourite things I did. I did a series called Muck that was literally me in bondage gear with, like, nasal prawns and, like, syringes, needles, simbin. I literally have the simbin. I've got nickels on. And I've got simbin where my private parts are. It was wild. And I'm so proud that I did those. They were honestly up there with top tier. I feel like saying top tier now, actually, is a bit of an offensive joke with the tier systems. But that was so much fun to do that. And that week, I'm getting told, take all your stuff home because we're going to be shut till May. And I'm like, eh? Like, literally, like, what does that even mean? Like, we're shut till May. And me and my friend Susie bought six bottles of wine, loads of paracetamol. <laughs> and <laughs> that sounds really dodgy, actually. Loads of paracetamol. And, like, I mean, for the day after, fucking hell. <laughs> I just heard that aloud and went, oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. Um, and yeah, we went to the street, had a great night when they posted a photo of me the week after, which I was mortified about because I looked absolutely gone with the fairies, which I probably was. But I remember saying to me, COVID, COVID, you shouldn't be here. And I was like, my name's Jordy. <laughs> I was like, my name's Jordy, not COVID. Uh, and then literally she left, 
went for a meet-in at a bar venue, hungover like hell. And then a week come the Monday, we're in a lockdown. It's just, that was it. Spent a really difficult time actually in lockdown the first couple of weeks. It taught me that Stupid Love by Lady Gaga is actually an iconic track the more you listen to it. And that I could DJ online and stream. That I could film things with my video camera that I'd bought years later. And I think March became an adapting period for me. It taught me to be adaptive. But I didn't anticipate what I was going to have to actually adapt. If that makes any sense to anyone. So April comes, I'm an absolute rocket of a mess because I'm in my house, four walls, we're four weeks in, I'm sitting thinking to myself, I'm very well, but I don't know how well I am because I'm not out there, I can't get a breathing test at hospital to ask them how my breathing is, I can't get my weight checked because I didn't have scales, what am I going to do? And then I've got my ex-partner, not that, that one, by the way. Let me just clarify. You might hear ex-partner a lot in this, and I don't want to name names because I don't want sued, but I am writing a show about it all, so that's what I've been doing this week, so, you know, look forward to seeing that. But I got messages constantly, three in the morning, four in the morning, and it was just so difficult. It was, you know, everyone was alone. I don't blame him. I remember telling my psychologist, like, why is my ex doing this to me, phoning me during a fucking pandemic and wanting me to meet him and get my hole? And I'm like, no. She was like, oh, people are lonely, but don't meet him in case you get COVID. Because he works in Parliament. So I was just like, ugh, he'll probably end up being around people that have it. And was I innocent? Did I exchange a message or two? I think over six months, maybe two messages were on my part. But every fucking weekend, I expected Friday for Sunday, a phone call or a text message. And... I watched Mamma Mia 2 so much. Honest to God, Mamma Mia 2 was like my sanctuary for basically all of April and May. Um, sorry to spoil May, but literally it was. But I think that month of April, I guess in a way, taught me to face the facts. I had to sit and I had to really look at the bigger picture here that I'm stuck to these four walls. Am I happy with my life? Maybe it was an identity crisis, probably was. I think it actually was, but I had to face the facts and look at the mirror and think to myself, do I want to be this person in the future? And it was very difficult. And I think in one way, that's when the grief of many relationships that I had repressed and antagonised was actually starting to let go. But facing the facts really actually, you know, it's easy to say feelings are facts, but they're not really sometimes aren't. And I had to sit and go, shit, this isn't okay, actually. I need to sort this out pronto. So I have a conversation with him on the phone in April. That's all done and dusted with, apparently. <laughs> May, oh my Christ, oh, where do I begin with May? So May, I had to then really pull my brains together because my ME was getting done. I got asked did I want to return and finish it, but we weren't going to be inside the unit at any point. I'm a live performer, let me just say this now. If you've seen any of my filmed performances on YouTube, please do check them out. But I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I luckily in March went, well, let's watch YouTube videos all the time because basically I had nothing I could do for 12 weeks because the shielding process was going to be 12 weeks at that point. So in May, I had to make a tough call, really, fight or flight. I had to step into the unknown, which is then hilarious because I was obsessed with watching Frozen 2, which is a terrible movie, but that song is iconic. So I did that, stepped into the unknown and just felt my emotions and started creating work from scratch, which it was very difficult. When you've done photography and live performance and you're getting told you need to go film videos and stylize them and don't get me wrong do you know what like my lectures were like just film a live performance but I thought I can't do that it's just not gonna look the way I want it to so I'll try and be ambitious and by feeling these emotions and being ambitious my, um, me gave me that resource but I was <laughs> my moon's in Torres right and I've got emotional baggage from April to me so I was pure sitting like I cannot cope with this but I did manage it just was very long. 
So we then go into the beginning of June. At this point, I should have actually mentioned, but I just go on Tangent Central, so just try and keep up, lol. I had been on sedatives since April because I had sleeping issues. But bear in mind, I've had sleeping issues my whole life, right? And I mentioned the first time I was the interview guest that I was on mirtazapine and blah, blah. But let me just tell you, getting on mirtazapine was not an easy journey. I had to go on anti-anxiety meds maybe like last October. Oh, God, no, we're January. October 2018, I went on anti-anxiety meds for sleeping. And they helped. But then... Unfortunately, when you get put on diazepam for sleep, you then get very addicted to it in everyday life. Then they put me on lorazepam, which was weaker, so I could sustain it. My friend Katie Jefferson, who's no longer here, sadly, she was on lorazepam and told me it worked. But I just didn't feel like it was doing anything for me in April because I just was up all night, all day. There was an Instagram story video I'd done where I was like cooking sausages at seven in the morning and waiting for a delivery driver to bring my garden stuff. <laughs> and people messaged me like, Geordie, you're off your fucking heat. And I was like, I can. I am off my head. Uh, but I couldn't sleep and was just going insane. So luckily, in June, I decided, right, we need to maybe explore this and get this under wraps. So I stopped trying to take the sedatives as much. I then thought, right, I need to get outside, but I wasn't allowed to go for walks at this point. Oh, so I was stuck in four walls, couldn't fucking go outside, couldn't do anything. But I had a front garden, and I'm very lucky that with my garden, I could get it done up. And I had a bit of savings, because when I applied for a self-employed grant, I was told I had too much savings to get self-employed grant. But I couldn't get any work. <laughs> I was, like, so stuck. I was like, what do I do? So I thought to gorgeous front garden done up in June in preparation for sort of the middle of summer, which we did actually have a nice wee heat wave for a few weeks. So that worked. I then, luckily, was asked to DJ for Pride in June, which was lovely. It was so helpful. I've got a Gemini rising, so this was basically my time to shine. This was like, you're here, girl, do your thing. And I was like, right, okay, I will. So that was my June. I managed to put thought into action and actually start doing things that were quite good standard of work. July came, I was allowed to start seeing people outside in my front garden, which I had fabulously directed, what? Decorated. My like, garden fabulously decorated. So I was like, right, okay, I'll do this. This is great. Um, and it was very difficult because I started dating somebody who was lovely, but he didn't study here. He studied in Lancashire, so I was kind of like, fuck. I'm going to have to kind of work out how long we can date for. Is this going to work? There's a national pandemic happening. I did kind of do that thing that I jumped in the deep end and didn't really anticipate the consequences. Pisces, if you're listening, I'm sure you can feel my pain right now. So I was like, right, okay. But we just went with it, and we did virtual date, and it was cute. He was my second, I guess, virtual boyfriend. I wouldn't even call him a boyfriend, but my first one was sort of the April-May disaster. I had this guy that I would phone me every day. He was so cute. He was so sweet. And, like, he taught me, like, got me back into bacon, which was so cute. So I was just like, right, okay, we've got that going on. I then also, in July, decided that I wanted to be Marge Simpson. Don't know how that happened. I'd watched The Ladies Who Lunch by Meryl Streep, Christine Brinsky, and Audra McDonald, and I thought... I want to do that for my MA film. So I did. Then I contacted my friend Susanna Clayman's Deb uh, Deborah, her sister Deborah. I was like, Deborah, go and do the voice for this. You'd be great at this. And I wrote this piece that was um, all about being a mother and feeling like you'd failed. But you've done your job because you're a mum. And what do you do when you're in your 40s and you don't know what to do? It was all set inside my kitchen, living room. It's on YouTube for Marge Simpson, My Mother Marge. So much fun. And I did the ladies who lunch, and it just so fit. I think it probably is my favourite performance from my, like movie, The COVID Diaries, because it just was the it movie. Like everyone watched it and shared it, and had randoms from high school that haven't spoken to message me like, watched this with my boyfriend, loved it, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> I should owe Fox some money. Um, so July was very much a getting back in touch with myself period, because. Marge Simpson, as much as a joke, was genuinely a beacon of light in my house growing up because when I was in therapy, I transferred all my therapy from, like, 
live sessions to digital because I couldn't go inside her house, obviously. And I'd said to her, you know, Marge Simpson genuinely was like something in my life that I miss. And then I got Disney Plus and then was like, oh my God, she's back, she's back. And then she did drag and I went, oh, she does drag, I do drag. We're basically the same person. But I always wanted a mother like Marge. And it's so funny because my mother always wanted a mother like Marge. So my mother tried to be like Marge. And it brought me and my mother closer together when we started talking about these things. But I always wanted that growing up. And then I realized that I actually could do that for myself without having children or a boyfriend. I could be my own Marge Simpson. And wanky as that sounds, I just went back to my roots and who I was. And my life started to slowly change. And I really got in touch with myself. That was the real lesson of July. Told you it was going to get heavy. So then we went into August. Now, this is not going to go well. So Leo season comes full swing. August 1st, the shielding process ends. The lockdown stops for the first time. I've got a front garden done up. I have my best friends all around. We've got three Leos in a friendship circle of what is now four, unfortunately. But three Leos in the group. So I was like, right, cool. We're all going to have a party at mine, get absolutely fucked, catch up. But then my ex started texting me again. And I was like, oh, and told me he was moving house. And if I wanted to see him, I better see him soon. And I hate to say this to y'all. I did genuinely actually say yes and was going to meet up with him. And I think... If I remember correctly, because this point in my life was a blur because I had an episode on the 1st of August that was debating it and I wasn't coping very well. And I had a meltdown drunk and I don't remember any of it. My friends had to tell me the next day and I was just like, oh, what have I done? Like, I've hit, I've hit breaking point. The difficulty with this is there's so many things to take apart here. And if you're listening and you're like, oh my God, I had my moment too, please do message me or feel free to get in touch because... I think I had about seven in the whole of this pandemic that I went, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? And it wasn't even just work. It was, why am I messaging this person? Why do I care about this person? Why do I want to do this with my life the next 10 years? Am I well enough to even live my life anymore? Is this pandemic ever going to fucking stop? You know what I mean? Like I was all over the place. And I just remember he wanted to meet me. I said, yes. I was also dating that guy still, apparently. It wasn't really going well, that guy. Life just gets in the way, but we're still like friends and chatting now, which is quite sweet. He's a nice laddie. And I ended up saying no to meeting up with him. I do remember this now. I ended up saying no to meeting up with him because I didn't want to risk COVID unless he'd get a test for me and he wouldn't get a test for me. So I was like, cool. Well, I'm not meeting up yet. And... That was after I'd had my meltdown to my pals because I was like, I can't do this. Like, it's just unhealthy. And I knew that being on sedatives on and off for months was just making me fucking insane. So I went, right, well, I need to go and I need to stop this. And Leo season is a fiery season, so trust me, anyone would have been felt in the brunt of it. I also just was sitting there like, I've not seen any of these people for literally like nearly four months. I hadn't seen cats since the beginning of March. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was intense. So we all sat, and they calmed me down, and I went to bed, and then I woke up and was like, what have I done? Like, what have I done? This is not great. Like, I need to sort out. But I kind of just went, right, get a pen and pad. And my friend left, because my friend had stayed. And I went, right, you aren't feeling great, but why? And I went, because you're hungover. Go back to this tomorrow. Monday, I went to therapy and went, I don't feel great. I can't cope anymore. I don't know what to do. I'm going to phone my GP the next day. Now, anyone that knows what it's like will get the struggle, right? Getting up in the morning. And I don't like my GP surgery, right? So I was like, oh, I'm going to have to phone. And I'm going to speak to this, like, woman who's, like, like going to say to me, oh, well, why are you needing to see a doctor? Do you know what I mean? Like, And I don't, they never should ask that. They're not meant to ask why. So I was like, oh, fuck's sake, like... And I phoned and I braced myself for the fucking carnage. And she says, oh, that doctor's not in today, sorry. And I went, oh, of course. 
sorry, I'm just having some tea because I'm very dehydrated. So <clears throat> I was like, right, okay, I'll phone back on Wednesday because she worked Wednesday through Friday. And I wanted to speak to my GP because I wasn't having a random tell me, oh, well, have you tried mindfulness? Because anyone with mental health listening to this, mindfulness is great and I do practice it now, but I was not having a bad day because I couldn't fucking get my socks on the right way, which... If you have a bad day for that, that's totally valid, but I just wasn't having that kind of day. I was having a day that I was like, I haven't slept for four months, and I'm nearly throwing my life away for a fucking arsehole. Can you help? <laughs> my behaviour was just so out of control. So, I got an appointment with her, and I told her what happened. My friend Katie had also told me she was on mirtazapine, which is an antidepressant. She wouldn't mind me sharing this, because she was very open with these things. And I said, oh, maybe I could go on something like that. Or should I go on, like, Prozac or Sertraline? Because my mum's on Sertraline for the menopause. And she goes, no, no. I think you've got something like OCD, essentially. But it's behavioural. And I was like, right, cool. Right, no problem, blah, blah. And she put me on them. And I stopped drinking for two weeks. Because I was like, I can't be drinking and taking these. It's just not healthy. Um, I recommend anyone, honestly. I know antidepressants are just horrific, but don't drink straight away on them, give yourself at least two to fucking six weeks because there's nothing worse than going on something that's meant to rewire your brain and then taking a fucking drink and something that wires your brain but in a different way. It's kind of like you can't put fire and water in a room and hope that everything will magically work out. It's just not going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like you need to kind of take the water and put the fire out with it. Can't I just expect the world, the world to magically like work it's just not gonna happen so I was like right cool no problem I'll go and get this sorted two weeks didn't drink started falling out with one of my closest friends which was hard I could see it kind of for what it was though like I've had a bit of a difficulty that I put my hand up and say this anyone listening might go all right because I'm gonna be honest I'm saying things on this that people don't know that (laughs) I can't lie do you know what I mean I'm not a liar but I've just never told people these things and I just think well everyone should hear that I am an innocent, I'm not the best person in the world, I've not done these things, and I'm not saying I am the best person, but I strive to just tell people my vulnerabilities so they can try and do it themselves, and I sat and was like, right, I have been every one of my friendship group's mother for too long, so I had to group message all of them, like, I am going out of depressants and I can't do this for all of you anymore. And they all understood in their own way, but unfortunately, it's like anything in life, some friendships, you just can't, you just can't stay friends anymore. But I'm taking it into the new year that there's no animosity, it's just life, unfortunately. I hate that expression, but August kind of taught me that that's life, that's the way things are going to have to be, because I'm 25 now, and I'm going down a dangerous road, and I want to start going down a healthier one. And if I have to be that person, then so be it. So September rolls in, and I've completed my movie for uni. I've completed it early, I might add. I'm quite impressed. And I've done a series of performances called The COVID Diaries, which is basically on YouTube. It's a film you can check out. It was all about different drag performances that were in a different room in my house that had symbolic meaning, and people could watch it. And I did things like grinder culture, hookup culture. <sighs> um... <laughs> so many laughable moments actually I'd done ABBA Dancing Queen which was so funny because me and my friend wrote it and she'd done the voice Alana Watson she was on doing a bi-visibility thing for season one and we were doing it and she was like oh me and her had went on Twitter and seen that Dancing Queen's anniversary was that day and I honestly kid you not it was not one of those fake things that were making this up that I just chose it because I thought of Muriel's wedding because it was all about marriage and the queer community it was nuts. So that happened in September. And then the movie was done. I submitted it. I didn't really have anything I could do. So it was a bit like, right, what do I do then? I need to like find something to do. So me and we asked Lucy became quite good friends for September. And we had a nice wee night together one night and talked about maybe we could do Glaze online which is what I had done before the pandemic hit with her and Amy Lamar and I said right let me see if I can get a commission or a a self-employed grant to get DJ kit 
and we can do it on Mixcloud Live. And I shouldn't have done this, but used savings to buy the stuff because I could just reimburse it from a self-employed grant because it just wasn't any point getting a loan because my credit rating would be fucked. So I'm literally running dry at this point of funds. I've got like nothing left basically because I've had to spend it all. And then I'm like, right, I can now apply for a self-employed grant. Great, cool. And Lucy's like, right, let's get on this. I'll go away. She was going on holiday, see her pal. Um, came back, all was grand. And then the second fucking lockdown basically was discussed and things just went so TT. And me and her said, well, we can be an extended household because of all my friends, Lucy was the only person that worked from home. So it just made sense because it was putting me less at risk. It was great. We got it sorted. I'd got the DJ kit stuff. A couple of them fucking things happened where things broke. But, you know, I'd went back to my old thinking when I was younger that, you know, in order to make money, sometimes you've got to spend money because we would always like the PayPal to glaze and I'd get some, like, tips for us, which was great. And I also then launched the House of Liability digital drag show that month, which was so exciting. Because I was like, right, we need to get this launched for October and you know, go for it, essentially, because we need this. Um, so that was September. I basically just went, right, you need to revamp everything up and spend a bit of money to make money because that is, unfortunately, always been the case for self-employed people that we never get paid enough for the work we do. Now, this is where it gets so interesting. So, the end of September, my friend who had been very old with CFK, who I mentioned twice now, had been texting me and I just got the vibe at the end of September things weren't looking great. Like the middle of September actually, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent. Middle of September she told me things weren't going well and she couldn't get a transplant anymore. And then September comes and she's died. She's died. Her brother sends me a lovely message on Twitter and she's not here. And I'd sat for weeks just trying, trying to get things in order to make her feel better or things to go well. And nothing felt good enough at all. Nothing felt good enough. And I'd heard her cameo, and I'm not going to name the drag queens because I don't want anyone thinking I'm like calling people out because I'm not. This was just situational. But I'd booked her two favourite drag queens on Cameo to do a Cameo appearance. But loads of people were. And I just got an accepted, an accepted offer from one of them the day that she died. And I just thought to myself, could you just not have like been here for another week to see this? But then I thought to myself, she was such a terrible Scorpio. She'd be like, there's never going to be a right time for this, Jordan, so just get over it. So I was just in shock, to be honest. It's so ironic, because when I'd done my stuff for uni and my film, I'd been literally talking about the stages of grief from my own personal issues with my dad dying and sexual assault and fucking all my relationships and the abuse I'd went through. And I'm sitting there like, I've now got to go through another grief during a fucking pandemic where I can't see anyone or be with anyone. And this is my October literally sitting every Friday getting drunk DJ Malusi which was great but sitting thinking about the fact that I can't even go to this funeral to say goodbye to my friend and I didn't even get to say goodbye to her and I just remember texting her being like I'd, I've always had on my YouTube this cover of me singing a song for her and I've never shared it because I just haven't been able to. My followers on YouTube have seen it, but I've never been able to put it on YouTube, on Facebook, because I just am not ready yet. And it was so, so difficult. And I just was like, the last thing that she saw was that, was me singing it from me. And then that afternoon it happened. But the night before she'd text me like, oh, I just love this and I love you. And... I made that my cover photo on my phone because I just didn't know what to do. And I'm thankful that I'd unpacked everything in therapy before that happened because I just was like, I couldn't have coped with this. I don't know what I would have actually done to myself if I had me actually. And 
I watched the funeral on a virtual stream, but it just wasn't the same. I'm sorry if people listening don't like to hear this, but you can't watch a funeral on a stream and feel the same you would in a room. Just like, you know, you go see a show, you can watch on telly, yeah, you watch a movie, but a funeral of all things, you just couldn't do it. And I've got a gratitude journal that I write in every night that I've had since about May. And in October, I had just had to start writing every night. At least I'm still well because this drug was great with me and saved my life. And God knows how long I'm here now because we just don't fucking know this pandemic. But she was just unlucky and it didn't work for her the same way. And I'm sitting here and I'm getting emotional and I'm so sorry if this is making you all uncomfortable, but... I was in such a difficult position all of October that I thought, I am here and you aren't on this drug. And I felt so guilty. I just felt like, honestly, the world could have fucking swallowed me up. We then got the Tories coming out with, oh, Thama could thrive in cyber, she just doesn't know it. And I've had eight rejections from jobs, the commissions that I'd applied for which I did talk about in the sort of first season, but didn't go in depth to how. And the amount of times I was told I wasn't good enough, nothing I would. Anytime I didn't want to create work, but having CF, I wasn't good enough. Nothing was good enough. And then you've got people telling me, why are you applying for this? You're too overqualified. <laughs> and I'm stuck between these four walls again, the second time thinking to myself, how am I going to do this? I can't work and I'm going through a bloody bereavement and now I've got to like live a life where I get up and have a purpose and I think October only honestly taught me that thank God I'm still alive and I'm still here. So November comes round, I'm like oh I don't know what to do. I put out this fundraiser for the Butterfly Trust funny, no one may understand this, but people that went through death will that one day, I don't know if everyone felt this, but I did, you just have a light switch moment that you're spiritual all of a sudden. My spirituality just opened all of a sudden and I don't know how, but her mum gave me in October a bag of stuff that Katie had put together for me before she died. And I couldn't, I just couldn't look at it, I couldn't open it, I couldn't look at it, I couldn't touch any of it, I was just too fragile. And I lit a candle she'd gave me one night and I just went to bed. To my depressant, hoped that the next day I'd maybe get one job commission. And I was haunted by that evil cow. <laughs> she haunted me so badly, I was furious. This is November, by the way. So I've got this candle and I'm in November like, right, I've put together, I've, no, I've got this candle and I've lit it and it actually has haunted me. Oh my God, I was raging. I was so pissed off. That evil Scorpio, I was like, how dare you haunt me like this? Oh, I was, honestly, I can't even describe how angry I was at myself for lighting it. But I mean, then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Why has she haunted me? This makes no sense. Um, and I thought to myself, God, Jordan, maybe you should go to hospital, you all right? Um, so I just was like, right, cool. And House Liability Show was that month. They were my fucking armour. They just kept me going. At one point, I didn't even want to do the show. I went, I don't even want to do this. I'll just host it and drag, stream your videos, go bed. But they kept pushing me and my family. And we are such an amazing house. We've, we've obviously had Amy Lamore sadly have to leave, but we were such a strong house, all of us, and all of us individually are really talented performers. There's not one, including Amy, that's a performer that I could even question. We had Anticlimax doing fucking Wallace and Gromit touch, my, touch myself with cheese, and I thought, I mean, that still is unfortunately, sorry, like any house liability listeners going, oh, You've got a favourite. I don't have any favourite children, but that performance was better than anything I've done. Like, totally was. And I literally, in the midst of that, had a fundraiser that I had to do where I agreed to a sponsored walk for a Butterfly Trust. 
And it was for Katie because she came to me in my dream and told me I needed to do it. And I was like, aye, okay, whatever, hen. <laughs> um, and I kept sitting. I was like, I want her to say goodbye to me. She didn't say goodbye to me. So I was stuck with this for weeks. So I phoned my mum. She's like, oh my God, Katie, dad, is you okay? I was like, she didn't, she wouldn't say goodbye to me. I'm sorry, Jen. I tried to text her. I tried to phone her. She wouldn't say goodbye to me. This is what I was like. Like, I was being a brat about it, but I was also going through a fucking bereavement. of probably my... I think it's the 11th person to die in my life at 20, nearly 6 in a couple of weeks. So I was like, I'm not happy. She's pissed me off. I'm right, Jen. <laughs> and the night before the fundraiser was meant to take place on her birthday, I went to bed, didn't sleep. Two hours sleep most. Woke up drenched in sweat. Didn't have any COVID symptoms, but I felt fucking ill. She'd haunted me again really badly in my dreams she'd said to me, I'd said to her, why won't you say goodbye to me? And we were at the top of our seat. I'm not even making this up, by the way. We're top of our seat. My friend's dad had drove me because my friend was ill. My friend Sarah, who was going to drive me because she's my, like, driver when I need to go to hospital or that. And her dad was taking me because Sarah was ill. And Katie met me at the top and had an argument with me. And I said, why don't you say goodbye to me? And she went, because it's not goodbye, it's I'll see you later. Pushed me off the hill hit my head off my fucking bedboard, woke up, went, what the fuck was that? Seven in the morning, two hours sleep, check my phone, and Sarah's texted me that she's not well and she can't take me at three in the morning. I thought, how? How did that happen? So I've texted Katie's mum, like, I'm going to have to cancel this because I can't get anyone to take me. And she's scrambling, like, oh, like, we could maybe take blah, blah, and I'm like, no, we can't, COVID, and she went, no, you're right, we can't, and you know what, it's so funny, because we cancelled it, well, I say cancelled, we postponed it, postponed it, and all her friends, when we changed the date to Saturday, could come, they had messaged me saying they wanted to come support, and I think that little witch was playing games, <laughs> I think she made Sarah sick, sorry Sarah, but I think... She put, like, something in your water before you went to bed, hen, and made you sick because we couldn't do a sponsored walk because of that. So then, this is the middle of November, because it was maybe on Katie's birthday. And she didn't want her birthday to be all about her. That's what this was. She didn't want me going on the top of a fucking rock and pose with, like, drag photos, because it wasn't about her. <laughs> it was about me. So we went up, and we saw the family beforehand, and Katie and Mum Gaynor and stuff were there, and the friends, and they all wished me good luck. Do you know that day, because we extended the fundraiser, we'd raised £1,580 for the Butterfly Trust from a drag queen in a sponsored walk. People that I'd worked with years ago donating, people from high school, people I didn't even know from like America were donating. I hate to brag, but I think between me and Katie being popular, like I'm popular in the drag community, she's popular in basically everywhere, people's Edinburgh, Glasgow, America apparently, we'd managed to raise that much and I was so over the moon. And you know, so funny because I'm not very green-fingered and no, that's not a pun in case anyone wants to make a joke. <laughs> uh, I am single though. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not green-fingered at all, but we went up our first seat and it was a windy, fucking rainy day. I had this ponytail wig on. I was struggling. I was like struggling with that wind, but I wasn't struggling to walk. I wasn't struggling to breathe. There was just rain and wind. And I had a fucking ponytail wig on and trainers on because I was an idiot and thought you could walk the fucking Arthur seat in trainers. The whole Arthur seat to the top. And I, and I stood there with Sarah and I managed to get up. I had to just stop every time it was windy so I didn't slip off because I choked. I said, oh Christ, her mum, I went, this will be it. Drag queen falls off Arthur's seat for friends sponsored walk. I was like, fuck's sake. I mean, if anything, get me on drag is be falling off Arthur's seat, eh? So I was like, right, okay. So we got up to the top. 40 minutes. 15, actually, so 55, to actually get on the rocky bit to the top to pose for a photo because of the wind and the gales. 40 minutes. And that was it. I stood there and was like, I said goodbye to her, touched the stone, said goodbye to her, said, miss you, love you. Don't even know what I said, actually. I think it was something like that. Took my wig off. Everyone was staring because everyone thought it was a woman. So funny. Came down, got at the bottom, got in the car, came back, took a photo, posted a status. And everyone was like, is that your home? 
are you not still doing it? I was like, no, I'm home now. They were speechless that I'd actually got home that quick and got it done. And it's so funny because I have not even mentioned it and I'll mention it. And I won an award in August for that show in December, not December, January, the honeymoon period. Won a Young Scott Arts Award. And it's the first drag queen to ever win one. But I would never have won that without that girl. That show just wouldn't have been the same if she hadn't been here. And I'm so glad, so, so, so glad that someone mixed up her feed deliveries once years ago. We had each on Facebook because of it. And I'm so glad that people got to know about her story for that show because that lassie deserved the world and more. And I know that she got it. And I know wherever she is now, she's got it. But that month, honestly, so much happened. It was so stressful. But that month just made me so fucking grateful for having that lassie in my life, albeit for a short period of time. So I went back to singing this year in the pandemic and I've posted my first ever singing cover during the House Liability show and it's me doing Gypsy for Katie. I didn't tell anyone that, they just knew. Everyone cries. Everything's done. We roll into December. Oh my God. And that was chaos. That was honestly Sagittarius season to a T. Bloody chaos. I've never been so stressed because we went from nothing and 100 job rejections, further job rejections, by the way. Could you imagine any more? But yep. And I just sat and got told I was doing a Shakespeare show randomly. So I did a show, the show must go online, and it was a Christmas carol, but a Shakespeare version. And then we've got the Christmas House of Liability show, and I'm covering River by Joni Mitchell it's on YouTube. And then I'm doing Lola Fierce's Christmas show and Salmonella's Christmas show. And then I've got them coming on my podcast, and I'm on their podcast. And it was so random, and so much happened. And I am very organised, because I am so disorganised, so I have to have everything written down. So the moment that I didn't write anything down, I was like, oh my God, what day is it? What week is it? And then Christmas was rolling round. And the restrictions were getting loosened for Christmas. So I thought, right, I can have three or four friends around and we'll have a lovely time and it'll all be great. And I had to rehearse every night for that bloody show must go online, which was amazing. I loved doing that. I've never done Shakespeare for years, but kind of was a challenge that proved to me, oh no, do you know what? Like I can actually, I can actually do this. Like I can actually like do a Shakespeare show and manage um, but it was so tense and long and hard and all it's just the hours you rehearse every night on Zoom and then the thing I'm unfortunately I'm very unlucky that my computer of course would be the only computer to talk turn off mid show luckily I seen I wasn't in but it turned off and I was like oh my god what am I going to do help help but I managed to just get on my phone back on Zoom because what else could I do so that's happened November I've been on loads of people's podcasts like Live and Leaf as well, which is like, was so much fun. Did a photo shoot with Jenny from Live and Leaf all around the venue, not venues, all around famous places in Leaf, basically, Persevere Bar, The Shore, Leaf Theatre, uh, Leaf Academy, shout out my Leafers, lol. Um, I'm the next big thing to come out of there after she who will not be named. Haha. <laughs> um, and literally, like, it just all took off so quick. And then... I can't announce too much just yet because I just can't yet. But in summer, I was working professionally with a well-established theatre company. But everything kept changing because of the restrictions. And it just became so tiresome. So eventually, we just had to put on hold. And then the tier systems got introduced where one week you couldn't go to Glasgow, but Glasgow couldn't come here. But then people from Edinburgh were going through to see my friends like, in their work, this is not my friends go to see them, but, like, customers, and my friends would go, why are you here? We're in Glasgow. You shouldn't be here. My friend Lana, I love her, gorgeous, but works in retail at Christmas. I felt for her. She had just the hardest time having to really manage a pandemic, and then people coming in going, why isn't this good enough at Christmas time of all times? But everyone was anticipating because the border just wasn't shut, so you could travel. You weren't meant to, but... 
they didn't have anyone at the tolling station saying you can't go through. Do you know what I mean? It was fine. And um, that was really it. December just became chaos. And then <laughs> the government decided on, don't quote me, the 22nd or 21st to say, actually, scrap that. There's a new variant of COVID and we're now going to stop the Christmas celebrations. And to be honest, like they'd said, oh, yeah, we can do like um, a celebration period of like the 23rd to 28th. And after and I was like, that's so ridiculous. No one celebrates Christmas that long. Accommodating people that had to travel, fair. You shouldn't be travelling during a pandemic. I'm sorry. Yeah, I went to my mum's on Christmas morning because I was like, because she lives 10 minutes away, I walked. But you shouldn't be going to Australia. I'm sorry. Like, it wasn't feasible, especially with the number being so high. So, of course, everyone just kind of did what they wanted. Because you can understand the frustration from people that they've paid for accommodation, travel, presents from loads of fancy places for people that they've not seen in probably four or five months. And they're told, no, you can't go. Or if you go, you've got to be back home on Boxing Day morning. And you've got to leave on Christmas Day. It was honestly the biggest shaft in that all the governments did. And I'm not doing this and saying this to be like anti-SNP, anti-Tory, whatever, because everyone knows I don't like the Tory party. I'm not an SNP supporter. I vote Green because they, the Green party are the only party that are pro-sex work. So in my opinion, that's the party we should be voting for. Sorry. Would I vote independence? I'll share this way. Yeah, I would vote independence. Like, I would. I don't even really care to be in Westminster, but I wouldn't vote for the SNP party because of all the issue with turfs. That everyone knows this. And how could I, as someone that was non-binary, support that? And that's another thing, actually. I've totally just realised I didn't even tell people that I came out this summer as non-binary. So in the midst of all this happening this year and Christmas, so funny because... I had known I was non-binary for a while. I had. Like, I had known. I had went to volunteer LGBT youth and did training on a non-binary umbrella, and I just went, this is me. I can hear it. And I went, right, well, we'll go away and have a read. And I went away and had a read. And then I decided six months later to go out with a man who was transphobic and who didn't believe non-binary people existed, who, let me just clarify, did not tell me this the first time I met him. You know, unfortunately, life doesn't really go that way. I'm much more, if you date me, the kind of person that lay it all on me at the beginning and I can work around that. But I found this out during and was like, well, what do I do? And it sounds so ridiculous to say this, but when he said he was transphobic, I went, well, no, you can't say that. How fucking dare you? Oh, like, I have loads of friends that are trans and I will not tolerate this. So he went quiet. But the non-binary thing, I just remember me being like, right, I have to bite my tongue because I want to be with him. And I thought to myself, I'm losing part of myself doing this. And this is two years ago, right? But there's a point to this. So today in a meeting with this professional theatre company, I'm like, she's referring to me as he, and she's not meaning to because I've not told her. And I'm like sitting there, and my, my pronouns for anyone listening are they, them, out of drag, and they, them, or she, her in drag, because I present female drag. But I've always said since I came out as not writing in summer, oh, well, no, if, like, if you're going to refer to me, it's they, them, please, because I don't identify as cis. I'm either, to me, I'm either genderqueer or agender. I don't really believe in gender for myself. I think I'm just my own person. But I remember him telling me he didn't believe in it and me just shutting myself up. And this year I started reading this book called Keeping the Love You Find by Harville Hendricks. And I honestly hate to be this cliche and say this, because it does sound so cliche in the New Year especially, but that book has changed my life. And if you are listening and you think, well, maybe I want to read it, I'd get a copy. If you can get one off, a, if a friend has it, get it for free. If you can buy a copy, buy one. That book, though, is so intense. The whole point of it from the beginning is you make an agreement that you will not date anyone or be in an exclusive relationship. It is for single people, but you can be in a relationship and read it. It's more just that you can't emotionally commit to someone, but there's ways around it. You have to navigate it yourself. But reading that book, you've got to make a promise to yourself at the beginning to work on your bad behaviour patterns. And I did that. It was during summer that I did that. I bought it and thought, I need to do this. And it was because, after we started this podcast, 
Um, before I did do this podcast, I listened to Oprah Super Soul, and Alanis Morissette told me that, well, didn't tell me, she doesn't know me personally. <laughs> she doesn't know my best pals. Hi, Alanis, how are you, hen? Uh, but she had said that book changed her life. And she, when she did the Jagged Little Pill album, like me doing Wasted Youth in the honeymoon period and any other art piece I've done, really, when she did that album years later, she was like, I can't listen to it anymore. And it's great music, and she loves that people love it, but she can't listen to it anymore. Um, and she had said she kept dating people after she did that album, and she thought, where am I going wrong? What is going wrong here? What am I doing? Because... No matter how many times she went to therapy or she spoke to people, she was still doing the same things, going for the same men. So I bought this book. And in therapy, I think it was actually in November, unfortunately after grieving with Katie's death, but I did a performance about my dad's death for my movie, and I was like, I want to do something about my dad's death. I'll do it. It was hard cried so much it was like a eulogy that I wanted to say at his funeral but I couldn't because I was only nine and ever since I slowly started making peace with it and this week is my dad's birthday so I'm going to take flowers around to the graveyard which I live around the corner from but when I genuinely started unpacking all this and then reading this book and then having to do all these exercises because this book's got exercises you can't just read it in a week like you've got to actually read it weekly set some time for it and do these exercises to learn about who you are and I realised my hidden true self that's an exercise in the book was non-binary and I publicly came out on Instagram in summer in August after I knew that I wasn't going to be with him anymore and I did that because I thought if I come out now I don't have to be with him and I knew that he wouldn't chase me after that and he didn't he didn't chase me after that and was I upset? No I think the best thing he did was letting me go for any reason, whatever reason he chose, but the best reason was he let me go and it helped me move on. And honestly, anyone out there listening that thinks, oh, I wish that person had gave me a second chance, I wish they had done this, like, if it's not good for you, them letting you go is the best thing because it'll help you heal and move on. And that internal wound from when I was nine and 17 from my two massive impacts of trauma have both healed from this book. I honestly do really encourage it. And in that month of December, when I was reflecting on everything 2020 taught me, I just thought to myself, I'm so grateful that I finally know who I am. And I got back in touch with myself that was honestly the moment for 2020 that I felt good. I know obviously for some people listening right now, this might not help you because obviously my story is but one story. And 2020, unfortunately, has been a horrific year for many people. But as you can hear from what I've told you, I didn't have an easy time. I'm very good on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram being like, oh yeah, everything's fine. And I was very good on my podcast saying, this week I'm not going through good things, but let's continue on. Because I had to. And it's about the guests. It wasn't about me. I can relate and empathise, but it was about them and their chance. This week's been mine. Now you've heard what 2020 taught me. And you'll know that, in my opinion, 2020 just taught me to be kinder to myself. And it just became a time to learn who I was and fall in love with myself again. And now that's going to help me meet someone out there, whoever that is, and take my time and learn things about them that will make me fall in love with them and not fall in love with who I meet just because I think he looks like he'd be a good ride. <laughs> Which is a plus, but it's not the only thing that you need. So thank you so much for joining me for Afternoons Light Season 2, Episode 1, What 2020 Taught Me. I can't believe that I've actually managed to get through that. And how many times did I cry? Like three. <laughs> but it was so much fun. I've got guests booked until the middle of February now, which is so exciting. We're going to start it with a bang next week. And I'm not going to spoil who it is. I don't want you to know. Um, but if you're listening and you'd like to be on Afternoon Delight to discuss your work and 
anything else, or if you just want to drop a chat, you can find me on Jory Delight Official on Instagram, Jory underscore Delight on Twitter, although my Twitter is basically just my rants that make no sense about my cats. But that's it, really. Like, you can give me a wee follow and message me and chat to me, and I'm going to end with a quote now, like we always do every episode, because I think that was something that I just love that we've kept in Afternoon Delight, and all the quotes were gorgeous. So I've got mine for you. I'm stealing this from Oprah Winifrey and from the gorgeous and late Dr. Maya Angelou. When you know better, you do better. And although 2020 was a fucker of a year, I know so much more about myself and what I want. And my plan this year, my goal this year, is to do the best I can with that knowledge. Stay safe and happy new year. And remember to breathe. Afternoon Delight. Real people, real stories. A local podcast for local artists.